This module is all about the stages of inner child healing that you're likely to experience or to have already experienced. And these stages are pretty ugly. They are not comfortable. And often when we're going through it, we imagine that we're the only people going through it and everybody else is okay. So listening to this might reassure you if you have experienced childhood trauma or you have experienced adverse um, experiences or abusive experiences in your childhood and you've been on this journey will reassure you that there are other people that also know how this feels and also if you suspect that you may have healing work to do because this is resonating with you what I'm about to say just to know that you're you're not alone and it can feel like a really ugly journey if you feel constantly like you're the only one experiencing this level of discomfort and um, and difficulty. So how do you recognize, first of all, that you um, are involved in unconsciously the healing of your own inner child? The first thing is usually the trigger. And the trigger can often be a medical symptom, physical experience in our body, a, a relational tragedy. It can be um, maybe a job loss or something that's happened in our social lives. It can really be anything, anything that leads us into a exacerbated emotional state, anything that effectively triggers within us a pattern of response and a pattern of survival that may be unconscious to us, but may also be disproportionate to what we have experienced. So, for example, some people notice that their inner child wounds come up after being at work and noticing that they're under a fair amount of pressure, but everybody else is also under that same amount of pressure. They seem to be dealing with it. But why is it leading? Um, why is it leading them to have a disproportionate response, a disproportionate reaction? Why are they constantly thinking that they're a failure? Why are they constantly holding self-limiting beliefs about themselves or feeling perhaps like they're going to get something wrong and they're going to be punished? So we could have two people in the workplace experiencing the same tasks, the same levels of pressure, but one person deals with it differently because they have adapted their nervous system differently and they have been parented differently as a child to somebody else. So here we have a spectrum. We can't compare ourselves to anybody else. And all we can do here is just honor what, what our nervous system and what our body is telling us about our current level of self-regulation. I'll talk more about that in a bit. So the first stage is the trigger. The trigger that alerts you to the fact that you feel like there is a problem. And I know we don't like to have problems in our lives, right? We don't like the experience of it. We don't like the way it feels, right? It's challenging. But people who never get to the point where they have to identify that they've got a problem don't really grow because it's through the pain that we really grow. It's through having to face ourselves that we really grow and change. And if we're never challenged because we never have anything to overcome, how do we grow? How do we, how do we evolve at a personal, emotional and the spiritual level? It just becomes a, a stagnation and a oblivion to that stagnation. So the trigger is the first stage. The trigger has hit 
you're feeling the feels. The second stage is the questioning, what I call the questioning, which is usually where we start to ask, why me? Why am I experiencing this? And this is where we can end up feeling very alone and very isolated. And then we can start a shame cycle of, oh, it's only me that feels like this. It's only me that's holding this really, really heavy thing inside me. There must be something wrong with me. Everybody else is better than me. Everybody else is more equipped. Everybody else seems happier than me, right? So we start comparing, we start questioning, we start shaming ourselves. Why do we do that? Because we don't understand the feeling yet we don't understand the sensations that are being brought up by the trigger. Why? Because we don't yet know the wound that we're working with. So when we start to feel like we're questioning ourselves over and over again, and we are unsure of what wound we're dealing with, we're usually in the second phase, which is, I call it the why me phase. I remember my why me phase very clearly because it was a huge turning point in my journey of healing myself and deciding that I had had enough of constantly being re-triggered so my why me phase was actually me really wanting to know why me and not willing to settle in as the victim and not willing to settle in as someone who doesn't accept any blame but actually someone who wanted to know genuinely why me? And when we have that genuine curiosity, it tends to take us into the next stage. The next stage of the inner child work is when we start to allow our pain, usually deeply buried painful experiences, sometimes even very abstract painful experiences, because we don't know what the experience was, but we just feel the pain. We start to allow that to come up in through the body. We start to recognize that we are feeling an emotion. This is where it can get very difficult because for people who've been through extreme levels of abuse in childhood, neglect, and who have complex layers of trauma that have built up through their lifetimes, imagine that they have experienced a very challenging birth situation and then a very challenging early childhood through the developmental phase and then maybe very difficult experiences or abusive experiences continued into their teenagers maybe they then had layers upon that of um, abusive relationships or toxic um, um, self-harm patterns or addiction etc so we've got layers and layers building up right building up in the nervous system and this is when it can become very difficult for the emotion to rise through the body because it's not actually clear to that person, A, what the emotion relates to clearly because there's so many layers of trauma and there's gen generally a feeling of intense vulnerability to overwhelm. So you feel if I actually was to drop down into that place and start feeling that elusive thing that I can kind of sense but don't really want to know about, if I start going there, I could be completely overwhelmed. And this is because we, we start to learn how to protect ourselves. When I say we, I mean our, our brain is essentially starting to develop mechanisms of dampening the ability that we have to feel sensation and to process emotion. Our brain is actually dampening our ability to do that. Why? Because it's trying to protect us from what we have perceived 
is too overwhelming to process. Because if we didn't perceive it as too overwhelming and too scary, we would have processed it and we would know what it is and we would have faced it. And it would no longer trigger us, right? So we're in this now tug and tug of war. Tug and war, tug of war. We're in a tug of war. And this is what it often feels like for many people. And I've had many clients that come to me and say, they feel like they're in a battle with their body or there's this kind of tug and war feeling happening in their body. And it does reflect in the tissues, it reflects in the fascia, it reflects in the muscles, it reflects in the fluidic body, this kind of back and forward, this tug of war, it reflects in the vibrational body, this sense of being in a cage and just being unable to move forward, unable to go back into the past and resolve it, just going back and forward, tug of war, right? And what that does is it creates these levels of internal tension in our nervous system that then make it, make it very difficult for us to be present and still with ourselves i.e. for us to be at peace from a somatic perspective, we need to learn how to be still. But we can't learn how to be still when there's these movements going on inside us constantly and generating through our electrical body impulses and emotional charge. We don't know what that emotional charge is because we haven't yet faced the issue and yet we feel it and all of our systems have been programmed over the years to block that sensation. So that's where we come into the... Uh, fourth stage of inner child healing. Bear in mind, these are not often linear, but they do tend to arise in this pattern. And we go back and forward between these stages. And also these stages can last many years. So I'm saying we go from stage three to stage four, but stage three to stage four could, could for some people, if, they, if the support isn't there, the right, the right type of support, that could take 10 years. And many people do live with these symptoms in their body and unresolved trauma for many, many decades. So hopefully you're listening to this because it's not going to be your journey and you're committed to, to healing and transforming your body and your life. So stage four is when you actually start to stay long enough. That may be just a few seconds, but you start to stay long enough with the sensations in your body and you start to experience impressions these impressions could be memories these impressions could be um you could be hearing um things that were said to you as a child you could be um revisiting old very old emotional wounds and some of this is conscious and some of this is not some is fully formed and you you're very clear about what it is and other impressions that you get are very abstract and you may not be very clear about what you're seeing and feeling and particularly if you experienced um childhood abuse at a very young age, it can feel even more abstract when you are in this stage because you, your brain doesn't have the full, the full memory. You have a fragment. So if you're interested in understanding why, you can listen to the podcasts that I've created about soul fragmentation and what this is in extreme cases of dissociation. You have these little fragments. You're trying to piece them together, but you're not really sure what goes with what, what happened, what's real, what's not real. And it leads to this feeling of, of surrealness in your own life, surrealness in your own body, the sense of being completely out of control within your own body. You don't know what's going to happen next, hypervigilance, et cetera, et cetera. And essentially paints the picture of what many people experience as PTSD. These kinds of experiences are, a cat these kinds of, of labels are a catalog of a multitude of symptoms at a physical, emotional, and psychological level. So you start getting these memories coming back in. Okay, now what do you do? 
maybe some flashbacks, maybe some levels of awareness are coming to you and you say, okay, there's obviously something for me to deal with here, but I have no idea how to do it. And I, I don't really even know how to feel about it. This is the stage where you're starting to become aware that you, that there's a problem and you can either turn away and shut it all down, pretend like you just want to get, there isn't a problem and just try to get on with life as best you can, or you can face yourself and heal. And this is the, the kind of, inflection point that many people arrive arrive into and it's really a personal journey and when the time is right for you you will face that and you will start to to go on that healing journey and for a lot of people who are in the comfort zone who are kept comfortable by the pain and by the identity the pain-based identity they have created i.e being a victim being powerless having been made to feel powerless has been used to craft this identity that is now getting them their their needs met. And that for them is pre-revolutionary because they've never had their needs met as a child. That experience is essentially a comfort zone. It's like that person has fallen into this comfort zone of remaining in victim consciousness because it is providing them at some level with needs, their needs to be met. These will only ever be lower level needs, like the need for financial safety, the need for a roof over the head, the need for food on the table, the need for basic levels. You know, you have the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. At this level, you will only ever get the most basic level of needs met, and it will usually be through another person or through another system. So you are kept in this consciousness through the structures around you. And as a result, it makes it even harder to get out of this comfort zone and face yourself because you're scared. If I leave, how much if I leave this comfort zone behind and I start to heal and I start to grow, who's going to meet my needs? I don't know how to meet my own needs. I don't even know what it means to meet my own needs. All I know is where I am right now, I can't do this for myself. So if I can't do this for myself, I must stay here. Therefore, if I stay here, I cannot simultaneously grow. And this is what a lot of people end up falling into and not knowing how to get out of because it does require you to to reach the point where you are fully saturated and where you have had enough. If, for example, you never think, you can never face the prospect of leaving your job which is affecting your health which is causing you chronic stress which is um, affecting your um, day-to-day functioning which is a very toxic environment if you cannot bring yourself to leave because your basic level needs will not be met without that job i.e you have programmed yourself to believe that if i leave i will no longer be able to earn any money and I will no longer be able to feed myself and therefore I will die if that's what your neural networks have developed as a program that's what you're going to be telling yourself right and that's a a program of victim consciousness because you don't allow yourself in that in that mindset to actually make any change therefore you stay where you are somebody who has healed that victim mindset will be able to take stock of where they are. Okay, this is a very damaging, very toxic environment. However, I have a choice. 
I can leave and go somewhere else. I can find something better that's more suited to the way that I like to work on a day-to-day basis. And therefore they will leave and they will find a new job and they're not threatened and they're not terrified of this sense that they're going to die or become extinct because they will not have their needs met. They actually say, okay, I'm, you know, I, it may be a bit of a financial struggle at the beginning, but you know what? I believe in myself enough to be able to get through that. And I know that I will, and I will be able to put food on my table. I will be able to eat. I will be able to survive. Why? Because they're not in survival mode. When your body, your nervous system is in survival mode, all you can think about is surviving because you constantly feel like your own existence is under threat. So what what are you going to do? You're going to protect it at all costs. Are you going to get out of the comfort zone? No. Are you going to take a risk? No. Are you going to wake up in the morning and go, you know what? I believe in myself. I'm actually going to go and find better. No, because you're busy protecting what you've got. Think about a primal instinct of an animal, right? It's worked so hard to capture that, um, that deer, for its meal. It's hunted for four days. It didn't think it was going to survive. It thought it was going to die of hunger. It's got got the deer and it's there with the carcass. And suddenly a group of hyenas start appearing, right? And it's going, this is absolutely crazy. I'm going to protect my, my deer. I'm going to protect this with all I've got because if I don't, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. And... I know that I've spent five days hunting and being starving to try to get this. It's not thinking, let me share it. And it's not thinking, let me give it to the hyenas because actually if I've got this once, I can go get it again because I'm a really good hunter, right? It's a very primal instinct to protect, to defend and to want to retain what we have. But humans are not animals. Yes, we have animalistic instinct and we have that primal knowing and knowledge and capability, but we also have higher level capacity. And that higher level capacity allows us to think differently from an animal that is constantly in fight or flight. It allows us to become masters of our own nervous system. And therefore we start to learn that we can actually go beyond the comfort zone and start to work on ourselves to enable us to fulfill our higher level needs ourselves. So where are we at this point? At this point, we're talking about leaving the comfort zone and why you would and wouldn't leave your comfort zone and how the comfort zone is related to victim consciousness and a sense of powerlessness, which is an unresolved childhood wound and childhood pattern. It could also be an unresolved ancestral pattern. What do you do with all that? That's a lot. You can sit there and analyze it and psychoanalyze it and get very intellectual about it all. But the point is, how do you experience change? And how do you experience lasting change? My recommendation is always to go to the emotional body. It's always to find the emotion beneath the sensation, beneath the thought. There is always an emotion because when you start to allow yourself to connect to your emotional intelligence, your fluidic body, not only do you start to allow your body to and your the charge held in your nervous system to start to move, you start to allow yourself to move and be moved. Therefore, you start to enable this sense of forward movement, which is very important for the brain. 
it's also very important for you because you are a flowing dynamic system of energy that's always moving. So when you get stuck, you feel it very, very um, strongly. And you know that there, there's something that you're just, you know, you can feel it, something stuck in me, or I feel like I'm stuck and I just can't move forward. Allowing yourself to connect to the emotion that underlies these wounds will accelerate and deepen the ability that you have to heal. Keep it simple when it comes to the emotions, right? You don't need to get complex about it. And I'm astounded every time I work with, um, with people like who are therapists and practitioners and they actually can't clearly name the emotion that they're feeling. And I say, let me help you pick one. How are you feeling right now? Just pick one basic emotion. Happy, sad, angry, scared. Pick one. And be like, I don't know. That's the level of emotional shutdown that it seems we have been taught and programmed into as society and as a collective, that we have to relearn the truth of how we express how we're feeling. Understand and recognize the quicker you can get to that level and say, I feel sad, I feel angry and own your own emotions, the quicker you're going to be able to do the healing work required to recalibrate your nervous system and to be able to release the inner child wound from that pattern that it's playing in your body and in your energy field. Going into the emotion, releasing the emotion, that is the sixth stage of inner child healing. So, so far we have got the trigger, which is the first stage, which is generating awareness. Then we have the questioning, why me? This is generating a psychological inquiry, an inner inquiry. We start to ask ourselves some questions. Then we have the third phase, which is the arising of symptoms, the arising of this emotional charge in the body, symptoms, memories, flashbacks, etc., that lead us into a recognition that we have a problem. Then we have the fourth stage, which is the connection through the arising sensation to specific traumatic events, memories, patterns that we have experienced. Then we have the fifth stage, which is how do we actually feel about those arising patterns? Unless we get to the fifth stage where we can be genuinely honest about how we feel, all we're doing is carrying these bags of trauma and pain and going, well, I don't know how I feel about it. Don't know. I haven't actually really gone in there to feel anything. So I don't know how I feel about it. I'm just numb. And we can stay numb and shut down and dissociated for so long until we get the right support to actually heal and move through these wounds. Learning how to feel the emotional pain buried within our bodies is so important because it takes us deeper into the capacity to feel and to heal. It heals our physical nervous system and it allows us to feel safe in our own body, to not feel like we're full up up to here in a system that is so highly charged, highly strong that at any minute we could become overwhelmed. It's also releasing emotion also starts to increase our vagal tone, which means we actually become more resilient in the face of stress and pressure and triggers. This allows us to go into the seventh stage, which is where we start to actually reap the rewards of emotional expression. 
This takes time. You're not going to cry once and suddenly feel this. You're going to have to do repeated excavation, repeated emotional healing in order to start to get from relief to release to resolution. And that's the way it goes. Relief, which is temporary, release, which is a release of that actual pattern and how it plays through your nervous system, your neural networks and your actual energy field and your body, that when that pattern is smoothed out and it's released, then you move into the resolution phase where actually that same trigger can come up, but it just doesn't actually have a same corresponding pattern. It's now resolved. So the resolution phase, which comes after repeated healing and release stages of emotional pain somatically through the nervous system, this is what creates this space in our hearts and bodies. We start to be still where previously we moved. We start to feel space where previously we felt constricted. And space and openness emerges as the seventh stage. This is what allows us to process with more compassion because we now have more space. We have distance from the event rather than feeling like it's oh, also personal. We have this spaciousness which allows us to actually factor in more of what was happening. And this is often the effect that psychedelics and psychoactive plant medicines have on our consciousness and state of consciousness because they give us this space to actually process something that we were very closely involved in from a little bit more of an impartial, slightly more settled, grounded space, which allows us to see it more clearly rather than every time we get close, we get reactivated. Now, this is also what good and deep trauma-focused somatic work will help you to do. And that's how I work with my clients. It's not about getting completely overwhelmed so that you can't go back in, into the depth and doing the work, but it's also about, it's also not about avoiding it altogether because you're scared of being re-traumatized. This is about learning how to safely go through the stages that allow you to actually get from relief to resolution through your body. You will know when you've got through into the eighth stage. The eighth stage is about this newfound trust that you now feel in your body. Why? Because your body has taken you on this journey from being completely um stressed and dysregulated where you didn't trust it at all and where it felt like it was a threat to you to actually understanding yourself through your body releasing the pain through your body and actually now coming into a place of new space in your body and then you go what's the common denominator in that experience my body oh does that mean that actually my body is something I can trust rather than believing that your body is something that's out to get you and your body is the problem that you're now trying to fix? When you have had enough experiences of somatic integration, of somatically integrating and healing the patterns that are exhibited in your nervous system because of your childhood experiences, you will start to develop trust. That trust comes from inside. That trust leads to a deep conviction and self-belief. It comes from your body. You can hear it when someone talks. You can feel it when they're around you. That inner trust comes from experience, the own experiences of growth that you have by doing this kind of work. That's when you can start reparenting. Reparenting is when you take responsibility for your own needs 
instead of projecting them outwards into the world and saying, well, that needs to be met by so-and-so. That needs to be met by society. That need to, needs to be met by the politicians. That needs to be met by my mom. That need needs to be met by my partner because I do not have the ability to meet my own needs. The church needs to take care of my spiritual needs. My partner needs to take care of my financial needs. My children need to take care of my emotional needs. And my boss needs to take care of my um, intellectual needs. And as long as they're all playing their role and playing their part, I get my needs met. Wonderful. What happens when one of your systems doesn't show up? What happens when one of your systems is in a crisis? What happens when you have to face your own need and actually go, you know what? It's time for me to see if I can meet my own need. As long as you are attached to systems that you perceive as being inherently related to getting your needs met, you will always have a dependency, an external dependency. When you believe that you within yourself are sufficient enough to go and create what is required for you to get your needs met, that's when you will start to put it into practice. And only when you put it into practice will you get the evidence back that it works. You cannot do this without living it. You cannot sit there and, and try to experience yourself getting your needs met without practicing and probably tripping up and being clumsy and failing and feeling a bit shitty hundreds of times. But then through the experience, constantly calibrating your nervous system, you get to the point where you actually have track record time after time after time of meeting your own needs. And it starts with the lower level needs. Then you can start climbing and going into the deeper realms of your own being and starting to meet yourself at those levels. When you have met yourself at that lower level of providing safety, of providing security for yourself, for your own body, for your own nervous system, instead of outsourcing that responsibility to somebody or something else. Yes, we always are going to live in an inter interdependent world, but if you're entirely dependent, that's where you have an opportunity to do this inner child healing work at a somatic level and get your resolution. When you start to do this and you go on this journey of constantly experiencing your own inner trust, reparenting yourself, learning how to pick yourself up when you feel absolutely shit and you feel like you can't continue, learning how to not shame yourself the way perhaps your parents shamed you when you get something wrong, learning how to master your internal narrative so you're not constantly thinking that you're lesser than other people because of what you've been through. When charge comes up in your nervous system and you're feeling a certain way, you're able to meet it, face it, and actually sit with it long enough for it to start softening and dissolving rather than overwhelming you or you then shut down. When you start to learn how to see yourself in the best light, the way that you see other people, when you bring that same compassion to yourself and to your inner child, that unequivocal, I always see you in truth and light and goodness, when you see yourself like that, 
constantly on an everyday basis and it's genuine not because your therapist has told you to do that but because you've read it in a book oh I have to reparent my inner child no because it's genuine you've genuinely done the work and it feels that way to be inside you that's when you start to do this work to generate insight and revelation because inner child healing work is not just about healing wounds and fixing stuff and trying to identify what was broken so that we can heal the pain. It's also about connecting to our higher self. It's also about allowing our body to experience that freedom, that complete and utter freedom, connection with everything, knowing within that you are incredibly powerful, incredibly special, and you feel it. This is the realm where the inner child is glorious and allowing yourself to connect to the healing work from a growth perspective, not just the pain management or pain resolution, but also for growth is what actually starts to generate insight. And when you do this, you start to generate insight about your early childhood that brings more compassion. And usually that's when you'll start to go into the ancestral healing component because you will start to open up to the fact that your parenting, your environmental conditions, your um, all the unconscious belief systems that were woven through your field when you were growing up, what you experienced, what you experienced at school, et cetera, you'll start to understand how this is all constellated into creating you and how the all... And everything that you've experienced has got these threads that go back into the ancestry. And the insight and the revelation that can come when you sit with these, these aspects of yourself from a growth perspective, not because you're trying to fix something, but because you just, you're curious about how you can love yourself deeper. This is when you're going to start to be revealed to, and you'll be, you'll be taken deeper into the roots, into the ancestral healing realm, and into a space where you can feel much more about the why and then we go back to stage two which is the, the questioning and the why me but we ask why me in a different way we we say it's a different it's got a different quality to it rather than why me why do I have to experience this pain and these challenges actually we go why me like why me why was I chosen to be the keeper of all of this. Why was I chosen to hold all of this wisdom? Why was, why was, why am I here to, to bring all of this incredible healing to my line and to the generations to come? So we start asking, why me? And then we start asking, who am I? And this is where we start to generate insight. Bear in mind, we're not sitting there philosophizing about it. This is insight generated through our own body and through our own energy field, through our felt sense because we're open, we're trusting, we're perceptive, we're more sensitive now, we can feel at a deeper level. And so we start to generate insight through the felt sense about what and who we are. And that's a journey of constant growth, constant evolution. And this is what is unlocked when we do inner child healing work. If you want to know more about inner child healing, about what it's like to do this journey at a deep somatic and energetic level, and how you can actually use inner child healing work to get rapid and dramatic shifts and results internally that lead you to actually recreate your entire life from an identity level, because that's when you will change your life, when your identity shifts into a higher level of consciousness, 
then this is the course for you in a child healing. Keep studying, keep following, and I will see you on the next one.